I'm Derek Thompson, longtime writer with The Atlantic Magazine on tech, culture, and politics. There is a lot of noise out there, and my goal is to cut through the headlines, loud tweets, and hot takes in my new podcast, Plain English. I'll talk to some of the smartest people I know to give you clear viewpoints and memorable takeaways. Plain English starts November 16th. Listen for free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays, all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page in the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus in president's select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC Pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett. Of course, it's been a busy week and a half from a Patriots perspective with everything going on with Bill Belichick and Gerard Mayo now, the next head coach. We haven't had enough time to talk Celts. So joining us now from Mass Live, still potable, it is Brian Robb. B-Rob, what's going on, man? How are you? It's good, man. It's good, good to be on. Always a pleasure to talk hoops, Celts with you here. And um, yeah, like you said, Southern's kind of just flying under the radar here amidst the uh, the Pats hysteria. But uh, when the dust settles, there's a there's a pretty good team waiting uh, for the region to watch them more closely here as we head into February. I know. And speaking of that, B Rob, because we had this little thing during the season, the in season tournament, which I was excited about. Like I fully bought in. I got into the tournament. But how into you are the are you to this home record right now? Because they have a chance. They Wednesday they get Wemby, and then of course Friday night is going to be the huge game against the Denver Nuggets. Like, are you all in with this? Do you have to get to a certain number? Because to <laughs> me, it's making the regular season more interesting. I wonder if it is for the players too, where they like have this thing where they could le- like legitimately try to chase. Hundred percent. I think Tatum outright admitted that to us uh, last week after the Wolves game, and he's like, "Yeah, I just don't want to lose. Didn't want to lose at home yet." <laughs> um, and not, I'm sure that's not exactly his mindset, uh, in overtime minute, you know, three there, but it is, it, especially with the way the playoffs were last year for them. And even all, all like they were played fine in the regular season of the garden last year, but there were a lot of questionable losses being like, really, you're going to lose to like the magic again at home. Um, but now this year it's, uh, they just, not only are they winning the games or like their net rating at home is unbelievable. I think it's like a plus 13, 14. They just like turn it to a different level on both ends of the floor there. And it does set up the stage for a fun one against Denver. And it seems like, I don't know what's going to take for them to lose at home this year. Cause it's like, 
the games they should have lost, like to Detroit or something like that at home, they like they find a way to to sneak out here. Yeah, and knock on wood, they don't blow this game on Wednesday night against the Spurs. I watched a bunch of that game yesterday. The Spurs played against Atlanta. They were getting beat by like 30. Then all of a sudden, they brought Wemby back in like midway through the third quarter. He's on a minutes restriction. The guy had like 25 and like, I think it was like 12 or 13. And he barely played like 25 minutes and he had like five blocked. It's unbelievable what that guy does, but I don't know what's going on. That team is, you know, we just saw Bill Belichick, a legend released by the Patriots. I'm not afraid to say it like the Spurs are poorly coached. That is not a well-coached <laughs> basketball team right now. So hopefully they don't blow it then because I do feel like Friday night at the Garden with Jokic coming in, the crowd is obviously into this record now too. So I cannot wait if that's the case. And I think it's likely going to be the scenario that we get the undefeated home Celtics against the reigning defending champs. All right, so b I wanted to get into this because Joe Mazzula, it feels like we only talk about him when bad stuff happens to the Celtics, like the rare time that the Celtics lose. That's when we talk about Joe Mazzulla. But <laughs> you you look at what this team's been doing, and the zone was something they didn't really use a year ago, and now it's like a legitimate weapon. They're doing all this cool stuff with Drew Holiday in the middle of that zone, and then all of a sudden, like when it gets to a certain amount on the shot clock, they'll go into man, which is like not a very easy thing to do. Like you have to have a lot of smart players to be able to do that, and of course. It's something that the coaching staff has implemented this year. And then you start to think about what he said at the beginning of the season. And I can't remember if it was on Reddick's podcast or at, his po- or at his initial press conference before the season where he said, we need a curveball, right? Where it can't just always be threes. And you look at it now this season, they are second in the NBA in post points. They're fourth in points per possession in the post. So that's something that not only is... Christoph Porzingis is doing, but Jason Tatum is doing as well. And then I looked at the big thing lately with this team that sticks out to me. The last 14 games, they have the best offensive rating in the NBA, and they're second in free throw attempts. And obviously, their first in three-point makes too. But the first 26 games, they were six in offensive rating, and they were 24th in free throw attempts per game compared to second lately. So I get it. Like the personnel is better. That's why you can do a lot of these different things defensively and having a seven foot three guy. That's why you can play a lot more in the post. But clearly defensively, they've been better than they were a year ago. They've done more things defensively than they did a year ago. And offensively, I do feel like this post thing that they've been going to like the old school post and like obviously Chris stops at the nail too is something they love to do but also like all of a sudden they're getting to the free throw line I'm like this is the Celtics all at the beginning of the season that was my one concern can you get to the rim or can you get to the line now they don't take a lot of shots at the rim but when you're getting all these attempts at the free throw line it's certainly something that helps aid this number one offense that we've seen over the last 14 games or so so from your perspective like does Joe Mazzulla deserve a little bit more credit than maybe the fan base wants to give him besides like the super diehard Celtics fans that are you know anything the Celtics do is right but I don't know man I feel like his season's been underrated like how many coaches are like you think about the coach of the year ballot like Spolster's never going to win it because his team never has a good enough record but it's like Dagnold and I guess Will Hardy's now in the conversation the way that Utah's playing. I think Ty Lue should be in the conversation with what they've done since the Harden trade. But I think Missoula, I think he's had a really good season. I'm with you. And that was one of the biggest questions about this team this year is like, what type of steps forward does Joe make? How does he evolve from a year where a lot, they just didn't, you know, things didn't go right for much of the second half of the season. They didn't, they were plateauing as opposed to getting better when the playoffs rolled around and that kind of showed itself in terms of how 
how tough it was to get through even the first two series there. But you're right, Ryan. I mean, like that free throw number you pointed, I think it's a huge one. I didn't realize it made that big of a jump there. That's like, because that's one of their few weaknesses they have right now. If they're already making the type of gains there that we've seen in the last few weeks, then I'm not sure if you, how you handle this team if you're opposing defenses right now. And so the the formula they have at that end of the floor has been great. The curveballs defensively have been more prominent this year. We thought like very few, if any of them last year. Now, you know, he's giving the players more freedom to do it. They've mixed in a few things here and there with this 2-2-1 zone or 1-2-2 zone with Drew um, Holiday kind of playing quarterback in the middle of it. And that's the sort of stuff that you may not need, but over the course of an 82 race, game racing, it helps to keep guys engaged, I feel like, in as part of the process and also um, can throw a team on its heels a little bit at a point in the game or even when the playoffs are around. So, Joe, and the other thing I feel like too, Brian, I, I like how he's done this year is just like the minutes management has just been so much better. I know part of that is you, you have much better players and so it, it, it's easier to do it that way. But even last night, like, the bench was playing well, like Derek White was the number one option with that bench unit and like the start of the second fourth quarter with Jalen out and he just rolled with it and it worked because it's like everyone's kind of playing their role to that point last like in part of that group right now and so stuff like that is helping manage the the team in on a night night out basis win these games they may not necessarily should win based on what the numbers say but yeah I do agree like Joe's been a really big part of that process so far and they've they are where they are in part because of what he's done. Yeah, and you look at just like Al's minutes in particular, they've shaved so many minutes off him because he's not starting. We are, always knew he wasn't going to play back-to-back, so that's why I never understood at the beginning of the season when there would be certain people arguing, oh, you should start the double big or start out. I'm like, this is right. exactly how you get him <laughs> healthy to the postseason. No, like, this no. Is, it, yeah, it's, it actually fell in your lap. Like, this is the perfect scenario. So I'm totally with you on the minutes thing, too. But since we mentioned Drew there, so obviously you had no Jalen in that game Monday. And by the way, when did he do that? When did he hyperextend his knee? And it feels like, I mean, Missoula said it's just day to day, but I didn't see anything in the Rockets game. Like, did we just like miss it watching the game? I don't even know when this happened. I think it's a situation where, yeah, I mean, he didn't play the fourth quarter of that game because they were blowing him out and he played one of the best games of the season. Didn't say yeah. anything after the game. So it was, I think it was just one of those strategic rests like, oh, this kind of hurts. I woke up with it today. And then it's like, you know what, Jalen, we don't need you to be Toronto. Why don't you take this off? Schedule gets busy next week. We're going to need you more then. So why don't you, uh, you know, maybe he'll take off the Spurs game too because you're not going to need him in that game. So again, stuff like that too. Like they're they're resting these guys and they're still winning these games, Brian, which is stuff that wasn't happening last year, even with the same record. Yeah, and hopefully it's not a plant situation. Hopefully he's not planting yeah. again because that was an issue last year. Do you feel like Porzingis, by the way, because I wanted to ask you about Drew, do you feel like with Porzingis, they're just not going to play him back-to-backs the rest of the season either? Because it... I mean, I know he did. He did recently, right? Like the Milwaukee. Well, I guess right, he, he didn't won. play the night before Milwaukee, but he did have one. Like, because and I don't mind them being extra cautious with him, by the way, because no. that's the, the whole reason you got this guy is for the postseason, right? Yeah, exactly. Like health is right now in my book, like the biggest impediment to this team, and so Porzingis is the biggest risk on the, in that health department. So yeah, like you know, he can play the back to backs. You know, he wants to play the back to backs, but even the one he did play. He got, you know, he hurt his eye six minutes in that Indiana game and then set out the rest of that game. So in my mind, it's like, yeah, maybe you play him one or two like when you need him. But by and large, I would say I'm with you and being more cautious with it going forward and on these back to backs, as especially as if he's going to play big, big minutes when he is playing. All right. So Drew and on Monday, that's the game that I was referencing. I got sidetracked there with Kristaps and Jalen and. 
injuries and not play. But I wanted to mention Drew because Jalen's been the guy that sort of sets the tone in the first quarter, right? Past two years, he's been top 10 in the NBA in first quarter points per game. So instead it was Drew, he finishes with, the line is incredible, 22 points, seven assists, six rebounds, two blocks, four made threes and two steals. And I think it's good for him to have this type of game where he sacrificed so much of his offense coming over from Milwaukee. And with Jalen out of the game, you have more of an opportunity to be able to do that. And he's actually, I was looking this up this morning, he's the best corner three-point shooter in the league of anybody that's taken at least 30. He's hitting 60.5%. He's 23 of 38, which I didn't realize that. And I'm like, wow, this guy is just, I mean, I'd like him to take more corner threes, right? But anyway, so in that Raptors game, I found myself on one possession. I've been doing this lately where it's just like when they go on defense because we've seen all these different things they're doing. I would just like find myself watching Drew. On one possession, I kid you not, he guarded four Toronto Raptors on the same possession just from switches and telling guys where to go. Like he, as you mentioned earlier, quarterback in the, the zone that he does, but he's all over the place, right? So what has stuck out to you about Holiday? Because I, I don't want to say like he's forgotten because we know how well he plays defensively and what he means to the team but it's like we're talking about Derek White as an all-star we all know what Porzingis brings and then you have Tatum and you have Jalen Brown I mean I just feel like Drew Holiday maybe I don't want to say under the radar I don't think he's underappreciated in the locker room but what's been your biggest takeaway of the first what 35 or 30 well I guess he's what has he played 36 37 games that Drew's played this season yeah just a willingness to accept the the backseat role offensively if you will like this is a guy who was an all-star last year who was a number two option of the bucks there and probably was miscast in that role at that at the stage of his career that we saw things kind of go sideways like middleton wasn't what he was supposed to be last year injury wise obviously and then drew wasn't capable of carrying that load uh next to Giannis. and so now he comes in here and not only fills up all you the, the intangibles that you need from marcus smart's departure um defensively but is a better, more efficient option offensively. And he's taking, I mean, it's clearly like the lowest usage, I think, of his career since his rookie year, only attempting 11 shots per game. And you can see why, like, going to the hoop has kind of been, uh, like, some some tough misses there. He's not finishing as he was supposed to, but he's in that corner three. He's in those open threes. And that's really what this offense needs him to do, except on nights when Jalen Brown's out, in which case it's like, okay, Drew, like, Turn back the clock a little bit here. Show us what you got. Go get 20 points against quickly. Um, so that just his ability to like manage that. There's still a wild card element to him, I feel like, where some of those shots are like, oh, like what, what are we doing here? But by and large, he's willing to accept whatever the team needs to do. Doesn't care talking about it. Like, listen, whatever this team needs, he's hungry for the ring. He's hungry to prove the Bucks wrong, that they made a big mistake to trade him. And now, I mean, to be a fifth option on this team, I think it's, do you feel like it's preserving him defensively here too? I feel like that's like he can really focus all most of his efforts on that on the floor because it's not like he needs to put up 20 shots a night. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I totally agree. And the other thing you mentioned, like the wild card element, you see that too in some of the passes he makes, right? It's like, yeah, that's a good he, point. He threw one into the stands a couple of games ago. I'm like, well, who was that? Who was that intended for? Like, what is going on? And the smart thing you bring up, I totally agree because of the sense like, Marcus needed a bigger role in the offense. And Drew's just like cool with it, right? I mean, I'm sure like some games he's like, I wish I got more shots, but as long as they win, I I really truly believe like he doesn't care. Like he's already had an opportunity to be the number two option. He had these opportunities in New Orleans too, where he's a really good player. So I think I'm totally with you. He's just in a spot where he wants to win a 
championship. And we'll see. Yeah, like the finishing numbers have not been good. It is funny, though. Do you feel like he likes to use his left when he's finishing more than his right? Because I feel like he, he never takes any shots like in the lane with his right hand. It's all lefty. 100%. It's it's crazy. And it's one of those things where like you don't, you never notice it about a guy until you're watching him, you know, 40, 50 times a year. And then you're like, wow, this is, he really likes that left. And yeah, it, um, it's, it's like a little quirk for him. Yeah, certainly is. Uh, by the way, so the other newcomer, Borzingis, he is... 19th in free throw attempts per 36 minutes at 6.9. Tatum is 15th at 7.0. Huge region. This offense has been the best in the league over the past 14 games. These guys can get to the line. He's uh, he's 8th in two-point percentage. He's 8th in win shares per 48 minutes. But the thing that has stuck out to me more recently is they're asking him to do a lot of different things defensively and sort of playing that Rob role at times. So the numbers defensively, 11.3 contested shots per game. That's 8th. 1.8 blocks per game, that's 11th. Teams shoot 60.6% at the rim with him on the court. That's via cleaning the glass, 91st percentile. Only Portland shoots self a 60% on the season. So basically, the only the only team that would be, like Portland would be the only team that, that would be better. Like everybody else, or worse with Porzingis. Like all these teams, are sh- like most teams are going to shoot like a pretty high percentage at the rim and nobody's shooting well when Porzingis is on the court. So I think I give the coaching staff a ton of credit for the way that they've used Porzingis, but also the player, because if you think about it, like Porzingis, he's playing most of his career just like in a deep drop. And obviously he's playing a lot of drop coverage here too, but they do a really good job of sort of identifying the matchup. Now, once in a while, they'll get burned like the OKC game where they said, hey, Porzingis is going to cover Giddy and you can kind of let Giddy shoot and Giddy got, got it going there in the first half. But Overall, defensively, I feel like he's been more of a weapon. I know some of the numbers would tell you that he was really good last year, but I feel like he's been more of a weapon on that end of the court than I expected. I'd say one of the biggest surprises of the season, in my mind, just how well he has looked there. Because that was that was the biggest question mark when you go with like the single big lineup of him. It's like, oh, how is this? How is this going to impact the defense? Can he be the sole big on the floor? Is he going to get exposed by a lot of these teams? And I mean, the true test of that will come in the playoffs when teams are going to be going at him relentlessly, like I think on the perimeter. But as far as the regular season goes, like those numbers you like point out in terms of the rim protection stuff, that's like found money for this team. In my opinion, it's like you get Porzingis, you got Porzingis for his offense, but now he's actually giving you much more defensively than you thought you might have anticipated. And part of that is like, well, you got really good defenders around him. Like part of finding a better like foursome than white holiday brown and tatum right now on that front but he's holding his own and the fact that he like might just be buying defensively more like putting in more effort in that area knowing that he's on an elite team here knowing that this team this is like kind of a focus this year after they were disappointing on the center of the floor last year when it mattered and so it's um okay we'll see if it keeps up when it matters most but through the first half of the season here this is uh probably even better than i would have guessed like Brad Stevens and company would have expected uh, this group be able to pull off. Yeah. And the other thing that jumps out to me about him is, and look, granted, I did not watch a ton of Washington Wizards basketball over the past couple of years. Right. But I'm su- not surprised, but I guess I should say pleasantly surprised about how competitive he is. Like the only thing that I, that I have a little fear with is he does pick up a lot of technicals. This is something that Jason Tatum obviously has an issue with as well, but he is really competitive. Like, I did not realize he had that much, for lack of a better term, like the cliche. He's got the dog in him. Like he is, re- <laughs> he gets, he gets really mad out there. I love it. I mean, but 
All the techs on this team right now. Look out. I <laughs> know. Be hanging out a lot of fine therapy. He's cool off later. Yeah, exactly. You don't, you know, you just don't know that side of him even existed. Um, but it is, and it's like, okay, that's that's translating well. Like Boston, this this fan base, I think, uh likes that kind of like likes those kind of players that play with that kind of intensity. And uh that's why the the transition has been relatively seamless on that front. Yeah, no doubt about it. I love watching him play. So Jason Tatum, I got to say this, like I have been so confused over the past, I'd say four to five months on his three point shooting, because before the season, I I was saying like, this guy has the potential to be a great shooter. We saw it when he originally came out and then the attempts got more difficult. But I predicted before the season that he'd be in the 38 percent territory, like he would shoot the ball well. So first 11 games, he goes 39 of 98, 39.8%. And I'm thinking, okay, here we go. My prediction is going to come true. Tatum's three-point shooting is going to get closer to what it was prior. Next 18 games, he goes 46 of 152, which is 30.3%. I'm like, oh, shit. He just can't <laughs> shoot threes. And the pull-up threes, like the, the amount of pull-up threes he takes is through the roof. Last year, he was one of the worst pull-up three-point shooters in the NBA. Okay, but last eight games, 31 of 61, 50.8%. 19 of 39 on pull-ups, 48.7%. Uh, the only guy shooting better with at least 20 pull-up attempts during that stretch is C.J. McCollum. So with Tatum, I guess I'm just, I'm getting to the point where maybe do we just accept that he is an incredibly streaky shooter? Like, is that sort of who he is? Because he goes on these long stretches where he's incredible. He also goes on these long stretches where he can't hit anything. I guess the one sort of question I would have is, can he realize that internally where it's like, okay, this is a stretch where I'm struggling. Maybe I don't take this step back right now. Keep taking them. But that's the one issue I've had with him is like, I felt like through the years, sometimes he leans on that because it's a pretty move, right? For him to get to that side step three. Sometimes I think he leans into it too, too many times, especially when it's like a big on him. Sometimes I'm like, just go by that guy. You can get into the lane. But then you see these numbers recently shooting the shit out of the ball. So I don't know. Is this just who he, do you think this is just who he's going to be as a player where he has these incredible streaks where he's red hot can look like one of the best shooters in the league and then have these streaks where he's not hitting anything. That's kind of where I'm at with it. Like it's it's because there is no really other way to explain it based on whatever the month of year it is. Um, but he has these stretches and the, the, the jump shot clearly not broken, like based on when these flurries come a few weeks later, but like you said, it's, it, it might just simply come down to like recognition on like the nights he doesn't have it. But even on those nights, it's like game six against Philly looked terrible for 44 minutes and then hit one and then was able to put the game away essentially. Right. Oh, that type of, you never know when it's going to like, you know, change on that front, which makes it, you know, tough pick and choose, but there's certainly with the talent he has around him here, like in past years, he needed to take those shots because, more because the Celtics didn't have any better options. Whereas now, particularly in these late game situations where he's holding for one shot, um, a few of these times, him and Jalen, where you're like, all right, like, just drive to the hoop there because if anything else, you can kick out to someone for the three for the last shot as opposed to, or maybe you get one-on-one -on -one and you get by someone and everyone's staying home on their man and you get a, a better look than you expected. So that's the sort of stuff that like will be, you know, if they can reach the final frontier, if you will, for him, especially in these crunch time spots, that's, I think, where the next step in its growth could come. But um, certainly just better awareness of where he's at on a night-to-night -night basis of that stuff may, uh, may go a long way with this group. 
Yeah, and sometimes too with those late game spots you're talking about, they go so slowly. I'm just why yeah. don't you get into your action center? Because by the time the screen comes, there's like three sec or five seconds left, and it's like well, you don't really have any options when it comes. To that. I don't understand why sometimes they. And most of the time when that happens, that's when it's just free flow, like they're letting them play. I do feel like when Joe actually uses a timeout in those situations, he's incredible. Like they've been yes. number one or number two out of, in terms of points per possession out of a timeout for the past two years. They've been incredible when it comes to that. And he actually did it the other night in the game they won in overtime in the Minnesota game. He draws up a play to get Tatum in isolation on Carl Anthony Towns in the corner. And because he had Jalen cut to the other side, there was nobody there. He had the whole side of the court open for him. So it was a great play. So I wonder if that's part of it too is like, because we've seen over the years, like, they haven't proven they're the best late game decision makers. Certainly both of them hit incredible shots and they've hit them in big games too. Like you referenced Jason Tatum against Philly. I just wonder if late in games, like, I have faith that Joe can draw, draw something up that gets these guys open shots. So I guess that's something to monitor down the stretch of the season here because he has been really good when it comes to that. That That's my main nitpick with Joe this year is like the, we've reached a point with Tatum, with Brown, where the free flow, like I understand the mentality. I understand like the the case for no timeout. But when you do the same thing over and over again, in terms of getting low quality shots that you don't even need when a tie game a lot of the time, it's like, Joe, you have really good offensive players around these guys. If you draw something up, chances are, even if they have a get their defensive players on the floor, I still like your odds. Like you like you drop yeah. good stuff and you have it's really just it's just tough to guard five really good offensive players. And that's what the Celtics have on the floor in these spots. And so you're taking these teams off the hook when you say, all right, let's dribble it down and let's take the the fadeaway three with usually like the teams, one of the top two defenders and the other team guarding Tatum or Brown in those spots. And so that's where we'll see how stubborn he is about that philosophy as things get going. We've seen a little bit of thing like you referenced, like the, the timeout he called against Minnesota calling a good play there but that's in my mind like for this team to fully get over the hump like i want to see more of that because we know what the alternative is and it hasn't been very pretty so far in those tight spots this year yeah it'd be one thing if we had pr uh, proof of concept with jalen and tatum where it's like oh yeah they make these great decisions down the stretch of the game it's like no we've actually no. seen them make poor decisions <laughs> and take like contested shots with two guys on him. We don't have any proof of it being or a good play through thing. Derek White. Why don't you try through player play through Derek White in those spots? Because it seems like you, you trust him in those spots almost more than you trust Tatum in, at this point. I agree. Like the Derek White, Kristaps Porzingis pick and roll has been really efficient. Speaking of White, now that you bring him up, so I've been monitoring like most the Reddick curse, where he had five horrible shooting games after he went on Reddick's pod. So for those that monitor this, Derek White, first five games after the appearance, 14 of 36, 30.4%. He was 6 of 23 from deep, 26.1%. 41 points, so 8.2 per game. He was still a plus 34. Best plus minus on the team during that stretch where he couldn't <laughs> shoot. Which is like, that's totally on brand for Derek White. Last two games, though, 12 of 27. Not great, 44.4%, but 8 of 16 on threes. 35 points, 17.5, and of course, he only played 25 minutes in that Rockets game. This season, so that's a good thing. I feel like the curse has been lifted. 89th percentile as a pick-and-roll ball handler. 54.7% effective field goal percentage, getting back to what you are saying. Like, hey, maybe he should get some more opportunities late in these games. He's at 1.05 points per possession in as a pick-and-roll ball handler. 
which is the same as Luka Doncic, like the best pick and roll operator, wow. or at least one of the best pick and roll operators in the NBA. Obviously, Luka does it on more volume. Raw plus minus, he's number one in the NBA at three plus 364. Shea's second at plus 338. And his raw number is really good, 47% from the field, 15.9 points. He's shooting north of 41% on threes, 1.1 blocks. We know he's the best shot blocking guard in the NBA. And then 1.3 steals per game. So um, I, I sometimes like I wrestle with this where last year, clearly he needed more opportunities, but he's up more than two shots per game this season. I kind of feel like in terms of the volume, I don't know how much more you would want to give him. Like, I feel like he has pretty much like the one thing I would say to your point is like maybe more stuff late, like in the fourth quarter playing through him more rather than having Tatum and Jalen make all the decisions. And look, they play a lot of fourth quarters where it's not close, but maybe that's the one critique or the one place I think they could use him more is late in these games because he's such a great decision maker. But I feel like in terms of just the raw numbers, the shot attempts, I feel like this is where he should be at is the fourth best offensive player, I would say. Yeah, he's in a great spot there. And he's been a lot more aggressive. And But now he's like, you don't want to get him too aggressive because you still have... Porzingis and Tatum and and Brown on this team. Um, so, but when you come to late game situations, it's more like, okay, who has the best chance of creating a good opportunity? Not not for Derek White, but for the team. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, if you run a pick and roll with Derek White, with whether it's Porzingis or Tatum or whoever, then like, like you said, yeah, I probably trust Derek White more to to make the right decisions. Tatum is generally, I think, still pretty good a lot of the time. I trust him maybe second, but like, I think a lot of time he's just like, he doesn't want the pick and roll. He wants to just go one-on-one and still then you're just like, he's settling for the, the, the pull-up shot. He's shooting, you know, 30% on this year, whatever it is from three range. So it's just like the recognition where it's like, this is a team now where like those shots are just no longer necessary. And, and you're not going to play perfect basketball in crunch time night after night. You're going to make mistakes there, but the process in those spots needs to be better and that might be simply involving more people in that process rather than um, relying on just the old, old-fashioned one-on-one ISOs. Yeah, and he hits so many clutch shots, too. Like, the one he hit against the Raptors where he's just in the corner. First of all, like, that was a that crazy was a, shot. Yeah, that was a difficult catch. And then to be able yes. to just come down, bounce right back up, and hit that shot. That was an incredible shot in the corner where he had all the arc on it, too. So, yeah, I feel like... I would like to see them just play through him more late in games. He just makes all the right decisions. Like it's like right when he sees the defender just lurking over a little bit, he does that little thing like back to Porzingis and Porzingis gets an open opportunity, whatever it is, he just makes the right decision. So we'll have to monitor that as the season goes on. And really more importantly in the playoffs, like how much they play through him late in games. All right. So Jalen, of course, we mentioned him earlier dealing with that knee thing right now, but the last 20 games, I did this whole thing the other day, B-Rob about, everything's up his his three-point attempts are down but the percentage is up the two-point attempts are way up that's up the points in the paint are way up his pull-up two uh pointers is in the last 20 games 52.9 percent 45 of 85 that was something he did really well last year he's back to that I honestly like that block he had on Jabari Smith even though like he got cut in front of like he kind of fell asleep for a second he made up with it with that awesome block like off the backboard I feel like he's been much better defensively than he has been really over the past couple of years, right? And then, so I look at it now, 
I think you could really make an argument. He was asked about this after the game the other night. Is he playing the best basketball of his career? And I'll be honest, like I did a whole thing after at the beginning of the season, like I was worried the first 17 games of the season were not great, especially for Jalen's standard. But what he's done here over this last stretch, he's and I think it's so important that he's found his role in the offense. He's thrived in that role. I think you've gotten, as I mentioned, alluded to better defensive play. Do you feel like this is the best he's played throughout his career? I do. I don't think it's close, to be honest. Like, oh, he probably has other stretches where the numbers have been better. But as far as just all-around basketball, um, and particularly, I think the you know plus-minus isn't the most reliable stat, but I think it kind of tells the story here for him when you compare it to past seasons in terms of how well this team is playing with him on the floor and how well they're kind of holding their own now when he's on the floor and Jason Tatum was is not because in the past that was uh, a recipe for not disaster, but like they were not a good team in those spots. Now with Jalen kind of figuring things out after this first month, um, improving his playmaking and just making, making just sound decisions. And I feel like one thing you Brian, like you feel like he's, I feel like he's getting in the trenches a little bit more in like late game spots, like fighting for a tough rebound. Uh, maybe, you know, tapping out a ball, like getting into someone defensively. Like that's the sort of stuff that like, not that he wouldn't do that, but you wouldn't see it as much. But now I feel like there's a number of games this year you can point to that stuff and be like, yeah, no, like Jalen didn't have a good shooting night, but he still like is helping with X, Y, and Z. And so that I think that that kind of changes from, from like, you're a good player to a like a great player. And that's kind of what he's, he's I think, reaching like that final frontier for himself here. Well, and we talked about Jason Tatum before the season saying that he put on 12 pounds of muscle. I'm not sure if Jalen, like Jalen's always been over the past couple of years pretty jacked, but now it's like, holy shit, like this guy, he is, like he reminds me, not the player type, he's not the ball hater that Dwayne Wade was, but like his body type reminds me of like mid-2000s Dwayne Wade. He is like rocked up, man. Like I'd like to see what his like bench press numbers are. And I I don't know what he's curling (laughs) these days though, because dude, he is huge. No, it's a good point. Like, and then you can tell, like, when he gets to the rim, it's like he's finishing through contact and he's getting shots over guys. And that's part of it. Like I said, he's built well there. And, and for battling down low for rebounds, like that sort of stuff comes in handy too. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's remarkable to see when he gets out in transition and he's, they've done a much better job. Like, that's another thing they do a really good, and Drew does this well. Derek White does this well. Tatum's actually mixed it in. Those hit-ahead passes, like off the rebound, that has been really useful. And the other thing, that what they do with that is, like, Horford, when he gets a rebound, just go. Like, he'll just dribble it off the court, which I think it really helps this transition offense. All right, so we know how good the top six is. Al has been really awesome since the start of December. He's shooting 44.8% on three. So he's he's been really good since the start of December. And then, so you look at the top six, we obviously feel like it's the best in the league. And then... Off the bench, Hauser shooting north of 40%. And then you look at guys like Pritchard, Cornette, Brissett, where I like the fact that Brissett's getting more burn here. He is averaging 3.6 offensive rebounds per 36. The only qualifier better than that, he doesn't qualify because he hasn't played enough, is Clint Capella. So he's averaging more offensive rebounds per 36 than Rudy Gobert and Jared Allen. So I do like the activity there. But you had the report last week that... Multiple league sources have indicated to Mass Live that the Celtics are strongly expected to make some kind of move ahead of the trade deadline. Keeping the team's roster fully intact now past the guarantee deadline keeps more potential opportunities open for getting a deal done to bolster the back end of the roster. So 
is this a an upgrade over seven through nine or is this like an upgrade on eight or nine like what do you what type of player because obviously we know like it's really difficult for them to make as you mentioned here it's a back of the roster thing like are they looking for somebody i don't imagine to take like hauser minutes but are they looking at somebody to take Fournette minutes pritchard minutes like what do you think i think they're honestly looking across the board um for me people i talk to i think it's like there's obviously a pretty set list of parameters of like guys they can go after with the Grant Williams TP, which is, you know, just over $6 million. They could theoretically take a little bit bigger risk of a swing, combine some salaries to get up to, you know, no one in the top six obviously is going to be moved off this team barring some barring an injury or some type of shocking development in the next few weeks. So it's like, all right, like you can make maybe take a bigger swing on someone um, like a an Alex Crusoe type that makes like nine or $10 million. But like getting to that salary point, you have to probably lose a couple guys you don't want to necessarily lose. That might be a part of your rotation right now. So with them playing so well um, and those guys like the Pritchards and the the houses of the world playing well, it's like, well, we probably want to just, we don't want to subtract from this. We just want to add to it. And so that's when you look at the TP or that's when you look at packaging minimum salary guys and seeing maybe getting to uh, a point where you can add a little bit more than the TPE, but it's um, their options are open on that front, but I expect the move that they make to probably be more supplemental piece, um, a depth type piece in a couple spots, perhaps rather than, um, you know, someone in that six, seven, eight spot. Yeah. It's a good point because I was like, I was looking at that Grant Williams TP too. And even a guy like DeLon Wright, you wouldn't be able to fit into right. It was like 8.2 million, but that's like six foot five versatile defender can obviously guard up like, Hey, that'd be a nice, obviously we know he can't shoot, but that'd be a nice fit on the team. But then you're having to trade a bunch of guys on the roster. So Caruso, that would make sense. Like you're willing to trade guys for Caruso, but right. yeah, it's it's just difficult. And like working, like I'm personally complaining about them trying to make a deal for these guys. It's like they have the best top six in the NBA. So even if they don't do anything, like we saw last year, they went after Muscala. He didn't really end up playing. He played that one game. Remember where he played like yeah, he like shut the lights out. Yeah. And he, he played like the most minutes he played, I think, in the history of his career. And then after that, like he never played against and they still made it to the Eastern Conference Finals and who knows if Jason Tatum doesn't roll his ankle maybe they're in the NBA Finals right so even if they don't upgrade at the trading deadline I don't think it's a big concern they got it though this year though Brent I still feel like they like I understand like you have to from a depth standpoint though you pushed your chips in this year yeah things are going great health is your biggest question mark you have to have like a backup plan you have to like fortify things as much as possible because if someone if Porzingis does roll an ankle, then and Al is like looks a little slow in the playoffs there, then like where are you going? Like, do you have do you do you trust Luke Cornette that much? Because things could for as good as this group looks, it's like all it takes is one piece of like the that Jenga board to like get pulled out of the wrong spot there, and then things could kind of not fall apart there, but like certainly get you in trouble in a hurry here. And you have you have these tools to add, so why not use them? Whether it's yeah, picks or the TPE. Do you have any interest in Isaiah Stewart? I do, but not at the money he's making long term. So I don't think right. that's it's like if 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 you got a gob in that expiring deal, I think that would have been a perfect guy to like be a you know a nice rebounding type big, a little upgrade on like Nimi in the front court. Um but the the money he makes after this year, it's like, uh, nope, don't want that. Don't want to deal with that when you have to pay Drew Holiday and maybe pay a bunch of other guys in this roster. 
Yeah, it's a good point. You don't want to be commit. Yeah, you don't want to be committed to any money with the. You're gonna have to take take him the supermax. We know Jalen right. is already <laughs> his supermax is gonna kill you. Good Jalen, you got you have Drew, you get Derek White, you got all you, Porzingis, you got all these guys. It's just it's tough. You don't want to take on any money into the future. Oh, random observation on Cornette. Now that you brought him up, uh, two things. First of all, I don't know why Joe likes playing Cornette and Al together. I, I like I don't know if this is just a th- something they're experimenting with, but it, it hasn't really worked, and they they keep going back to that. I, I don't I don't understand why Cornette plays so much with Al. And the other question I would have on that is, is he told and I think Cornette's a fine player for what he's asked to do. Like, this is not me saying I'm I'm not like an anti-Cornette guy. I think he's pretty good for what they ask him to do. But is he just told to bat every rebound? Because I, I don't think I've ever <laughs> seen... He doesn't just like... He'll never just grab one. I get it like on the offensive end, right? You're trying to bat it out to shooters. But he does it on the defensive end all the time, too. At times, I'm like, dude, you could have just grabbed that. Like, just grab that. I don't know. Is that like coached into him or something? Because he never grabs a rebound. That's a really good question. Like, because you're right. Like, statistically, he's not yeah. a good defensive rebounder. It's like, yeah. and that and that shows with just with that kind of a. So is that something where it, like he thinks he's hitting it to someone else? Like, I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna get back to you, Brian. I'm, I'm gonna take it right to the source and be like, Brian's got a good question here, and we need some answers. Like, what what's the philosophy here with these with these taps on the defensive rebounds when you can you're six seven foot two and you could just grab it yourself and. Take care of this. Right. I get it when Drew or Derek White does it because like they don't have the ability to go get that one. So they got to tap it to somebody else. <laughs> it's I mean, he's he's a fun dude. There's a lot of questions about his game that, you know, his evolution of his game is just crazy in itself that he went from a, a three point shooter, a guy who just literally doesn't take him anymore. Um, and, and instead now just, you know, passes the ball, taps offensive rebounds and 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 sometimes inadvertently taps defensive rebounds to the other team. Yeah, and does like that celebration, the vein celebration yeah, against right. free throws, which is, I thought that was <laughs> funny. But do you have any insight on the uh, Al Cornette thing, why they play together? Like I, I, Porzingis and Al play well together, and right. Porzingis and Cornette play well together by the numbers. It hasn't been a lot, but it's, I just find that interesting that they play those two guys together. Yeah, it's a good question. Like I don't, we haven't asked Joseph about that. I My guess is a situation where it's like, it's taken taking it easier on Al like Al likes to play the four as opposed to the five because he gets beat up less and so if you have Cornette out there that kind of takes some of that onus off of him in that regard that's honestly like I feel like the mentality with a lot of the times where they play these double bigs it's like all right let's you don't have to like you know box out the the opposing center you know 30 minutes a game now Al you don't have to do it for 15 Oh, that's a good point. I didn't think of that. That makes a lot of sense, actually, where getting back to what we started with, with injuries and all that, that does make a lot of sense where you're protecting the wear and tear on your 37 year old center that doesn't always look 37. But that's a great point. I, that, maybe that's what it is. I think that's maybe that. I mean, it might be something right. I don't know, like, but yeah, that that's my guess from just like from talking to Al over the years and talking like obviously him playing center now. That's like not a big he's been doing it for years, but clearly he always liked to play the four over the five if given the choice yeah i'm convinced you're right on that because think about it all his other minutes are either with Porzingis, where he has to cover the traditional center or just him as the only big where he has to right. cover the traditional center so you're probably right in that all right b-rod before we let you go so we know that tatum's a lock to make the all-star team jalen at this point has to be a lock to make the all-star team 
Do the Celtics get a third guy? And if so, is it Derek White or is it Porzingis? I feel like the games may hurt Porzingis more than anything else. Do they get a Because th- there's been a big campaign for Derek White. Yeah, it's a really great question. Because like you said, I think the White, this slump that he went into was not well-timed on the All-Star yeah. front. Because I think the voting for that happened soon. Still, like he's still shooting 41% for three, averaging almost 60 points a game. Like these are... When you factor in defensive stuff, pretty worthwhile numbers. But um, yeah, if given, if choosing one, I would bet on Porzingis over Derek White. I think just the the guards in the East is that's just like really loaded, and yeah. it's tougher for him to kind of overcome the type of numbers that are being put up there. But um, I do think they should get three if they keep this winning like up through January here. I think they've been good enough here where probably both of those guys are deserving to some extent. It's just a matter of like. You know, who who gets the nod from the the coaches that are making the votes here. Yeah, like you talk about the guards. You have Maxi, you have Halliburton, you have Donovan Mitchell, and then like Trey Young's team stinks, but he's out he's averaging like what, almost thirty and eleven right now. It's like, like he it's, he's been really like and he's been really good for them. It's just the whole DeJounte Murray thing doesn't really fit. And then even like Jalen Brunson. Jalen Brunson is having an outstanding season. So it's it's really going to be interesting to see how the coaches determine that because White's obviously very impactful on winning, but you have these guys with ridiculous stats. And look, Jalen Brunson's team is winning. I'm not saying his team, he doesn't have a huge impact on winning, but it'll be interesting to see if they get the third guy. All right, that is Brian Rob, B-Rob from Mass Live, and of course, still potable. B-Rob, thank you so much for the time, man. Really appreciate it, and enjoy the rest of the season. Enjoy Wemby and Jokic the rest of the week. Fun few weeks out of the trade deadline. As always, a pleasure to have Come on off you, Brian, and we'll talk again soon, man. After an incredible NFL Super Wild Card weekend, we're on to the divisional round. For these teams, it's win or go home. But you'll always have a spot in the playoffs with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. FanDuel has so many ways for you to pick up a W. So I'm looking at this same game parlay for the Ravens-Texans game. It's at plus 355. Zay Flowers over 48 and a half receiving yards. He's been over that number three of his final four games of the regular season. Nico Collins, alternate line of 60. He went for 195 last week. Line is at 82 and a half. But I just think about that Ravens defense. Nico Collins is their number one weapon. They're at least going to come up with something for Collins. I still think he'll put up numbers. That's why I go with the alternate line of 60 there. Lamar Jackson, alternate line of 40 rushing yards. And the Ravens on the money line. So that brings you up to plus 355. Ravens on the money line. Lamar, alternate line of 40 rushing yards. Nico Collins, alternate line of 60 receiving yards, and Zay Flowers, over 48 and a half receiving yards. So if you want to follow my picks, go to FanDuel right now. New customers get started with $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just visit FanDuel.com Pike to join today. That's FanDuel.com Pike. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Must be 21 plus and president select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Great stuff there as always from B-Rob. Always enjoy chatting C's with B-Rob. And I'm convinced now. That's a great point that he made about Cornette because I'm always thinking, why is Cornette and Al, why are they playing together? But that makes perfect sense where Al doesn't constantly have to battle the five, which every other minute he's on the court, he's battling the five. So that's probably it. That's a great point by B-Rob. 
By the way, thanks to our friends at FanDuel, we're going to do a same-game parlay for the Celtics and the San Antonio Spurs coming up on Wednesday night. Wemby comes to town, who has been incredible for the Spurs, despite the fact that the Spurs have been terrible. He's a very unique player, like nobody we've ever seen. So here's my same-game parlay for the C's and the Spurs Wednesday night at the Garden. Tatum, 25 points. Holiday, two made threes. White, two made threes. And Tatum, six rebounds. So Celtics on the money line. Tatum, 25. Holiday, two made threes. White, two made threes. And Tatum, six rebounds. Okay, so that's our same game parlay. Thanks to our friends at FanDuel. Okay, so by the way, that was a pretty good slate of sports that we got on Monday. The Bills-Steelers game was actually entertaining when... The Bills fell down by, th- or excuse me, when the Steelers fell down by three touchdowns, I was thinking to myself, like, oh, we're going to get another shitty game. We only had, really, over the weekend, we only had the Rams and Detroit game that was interesting. The two games on Saturday stunk, and of course, the Cowboys got blown out. So that was nice to have at least a competitive game, because we all know what happened in that eagles Bucks game. And then you had the Bruins in the afternoon, one o'clock start. They beat the Devils three to nothing. Pasta with an absolute laser on the power play to give the Bees the 2-0 lead in that third period. Trent Frederick had one of the best empty net goals I've seen. Like, we've had a lot of great ones from goalies. Like, it's just cool when a goalie scores in an empty net. But the Frederick empty netter where he just laid out, he's having a tremendous season. That was awesome. So entering play Tuesday, by the way, Pasta's up to now 61 points, third behind only Kucherov and McKinnon. And the 26 goals are six. By the way, we'll see Nathan McKinnon on Thursday night at the Garden as the Avalanche come to town. Charlie Coyle scored again. He's now up to, what, 15 goals through 43 games. Career high is 21. Had 16 each of the last two seasons, so he's going to pass that with relative ease. He's been awesome. Such a great trade. You think back to that one. A fifth rounder in Ryan Donato. Donato's on his fourth team since the Bruins made that trade. He's been at a bunch of different places, but that was a fun game, and good for the Bees to have these back-to-back wins after... They kept losing these games that were after regulation. We alluded to that briefly the other day, but I know you get a point for those games, but even McAvoy said when he had the game winner in overtime the other day that it was important for them to get a win, and they respond with another win against the Devils. That was an awesome game. I thought that was a really fun game, and I'm telling you, like if you didn't watch that Bruins game, go back and watch the pasta goal, which is an absolute laser, not that you should be surprised, and watch the Frederick empty netter. That was Absolutely incredible. So we'll get ready for Colorado, who is second in the Central right now. All right. We do need to get to this drama in the NFL. I am so fascinated by the coaching candidates. It's unheard of. Belichick had his interview with the Falcons. Of course, we got that announcement. Harbaugh had his interview with the Chargers. Mike Vrabel's out there. Pete Carroll's out there, which the whole Pete Carroll thing is weird because Pete Carroll, like he has a position with the organization still, which we all know that is more of just like a financial thing. Pete wants to coach elsewhere, but he's saying locally there in Seattle on the radio that it was non-football people that made the decision. Like he's clearly upset, yet he's still employed by the organization. Just weird. And then there are other great coordinators out there that are candidates. Like, for example, Ben Johnson, it feels like he's going to get his uh, job. Raheem Morris, who I know was a failure when he was in Tampa Bay, but they hired him when he was like 31 years old. He had an awesome season in Los Angeles with that defense. He's going to be a guy that gets a bunch of interviews as well. So naturally, I want to start with Belichick and the Falcons. So they announced, as we mentioned, that they've interviewed Bill. Now, to me, this is like when you were applying to college, right? And you go in, you meet with the guidance counselor. You have all these schools you want to go to. 
and the guidance counselor tells you, okay, we got to make sure we have a safety school, right? Hey, I know you don't want to go to this school, but what if the worst happens? And all the schools that you want to go to say, no, we're not accepting you. You got to have the safety school. And that's what the Atlanta Falcons feel like to me. You need to have a fallback plan just in case if you're Bill Belichick. And I know Tom Pelissero tweeted out that there is mutual interest. And look, why it wouldn't behoove Bill to put it out there, like to, to use my analogy here. Hey, this is my safety school, right? You want other teams to think you're interested in the Falcons job, right? And look, there are nice pieces there. We've talked about the guys that they had, Drake London, Kyle Pitts, who has been underutilized, Bijan Robinson, who was actually underutilized as well. And I get there is an appeal with that division, right? Where that division stinks. That division is very winnable. But for, although Tampa did beat the Eagles, but nonetheless, you get it like that has not been a great division over the past few years. But for me, this is the least entertaining, realistic outcome because there's no chance. Bella has no interest in Carolina. Who would have interest in Carolina, right? But Bill goes from this rabid fan base with the Patriots to the Falcons who have the opposite of a rabid fan base. Please, that is so... That is one of these things where I want no part of that from an entertainment standpoint, right? Not to mention they have no quarterback, right? Fields would make sense for Atlanta, but we don't know if Bill likes Fields considering the Patriots didn't like Fields when he was coming out of the collegiate level, right? So what are they doing at the quarterback position, right? That just feels like Bill is going to Atlanta because the other options are not there and he wants to keep coaching so he can chase down Chula's record, which if he wants to do that... That's, he's the greatest coach of all time. He can do whatever the hell he wants. But to me, I'm just not interested in that outcome. Sure, like we'll pay attention to what Bill's doing with the Atlanta Falcons, but I want to be entertained. So I'm looking through these and I'm going to give you my top three destinations for Bill in a second here. So it doesn't look like Tomlin is leaving. And the reason this became a story is because if you missed it, Tomlin in his post-game press conference after the loss to the Bills, he was asked, Hey, you have one year left on your contract. That was the end of the question. Tomlin just bounced, which <laughs> that was pretty funny. But Jeremy Fowler from ESPN, he reported today that leaving, according to a source he talked to, would be surprising. That Tomlin wouldn't be the head coach of the Steelers next year. And if Tomlin joined, could you imagine if Tomlin joined this coaching pool with Rabel? Because, of course, Tomlin has a ring. And he went to another Super Bowl, but joining the class with Rabel, Harbaugh, Belichick, and Pete Carroll, I mean, that, I don't even know if we could handle that, right? So let's assume the Steelers' job is off the table, because obviously that would be very interesting to Bill, for Bill, rather. And I know they don't have a quarterback right now either, but just the history of that organization. A lot more history there in Pittsburgh than Atlanta. Anyway, so as we're recording, what, 411 or 431, I should say, right now, on Tuesday, we don't have news yet on Mike McCarthy or Nick Sirianni, but by the time you listen to this podcast, we may get news because it feels like these guys are both on their way out, right? Both teams were embarrassed over the weekend. The Eagles lost on Monday night, 32 to nine. They got bundled, okay? This is after they started their season 10 and one. So what did they finish kind of in the playoff game? One and six down the stretch of the season. So Sirianni could easily be out, Okay. The Commanders, there has been reporting that they're not interested in Bill. So let's take the Commanders out of there too when we're ranking the most intriguing destinations for Bill Belichick. So from my perspective, this is how I would rank, because not all these spots are open yet. This is how I would rank these spots with the Commanders not in there, because that is interesting, going to Washington and you have the number two pick. So I've taken the Commanders out of the equation. I'm taking 
the Steelers out of the equation as well, unless we find out something differently. But there does feel like there's real momentum with Sirianni and McCarthy that those guys could get fired. So here are my top three teams, or here's my list of the top three teams I'm interested in for Bill Belichick to coach. Number one, and this is tough for me to decide, is Dallas, a team that has proven they cannot win big games. So who do you hire? The greatest coach in the history of the NFL to win you some big games, right? Bill Belichick has won his fair share of big games. Okay. And you also look at this from Belichick's perspective. You have Micah Parsons. Trafon Diggs is coming back, right? I mean, one of the legit number one corners of the NFL. I know Dak has had his issues as it pertains to the postseason, but he's a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. And maybe you say, if you're Bill, this guy's really talented. If we game plan better when we get to the postseason, we can win, right? C.D. Lamb is arguably the best receiver in the game, and I know they have salary cap issues, right? But they can, if they want to, like, depending on what you do with the cap gymnastics, do you get into the Derrick Henry sweepstakes? Like, can you imagine Derrick Henry in Dallas with that team? Because they did struggle to run the football consistently with Pollard. Pollard was at just four yards per carry after being at 5.2 the previous season. And he was the other guy, right, behind Zeke. And he wasn't as good when they asked him to be the bell cow running back. He actually averaged more yards per game on almost three fewer attempts the previous season, right? So look, maybe they even get into the Derrick Henry sweepstakes if they could get into that, depending on what they want to do financially. And look, Derrick Henry may not look at, be looking this time to break the bank. Maybe he's looking to be on a competitive team that can win a Super Bowl, right? And then there is the Kraft Jerry dynamic, right? So this is the most popular brand in the sport, the Dallas Cowboys, right? And this is by far the owner that has the biggest rivalry with Kraft in terms of these have been the two most powerful owners in the sport really since over the past 20 years or so, right? I mean, Jerry's been there forever winning Super Bowls in the 90s. His team has not been winning since then. And if Bill can get Dallas over the hump, Think about how awesome that would be for Belichick because there is a real thing there where this team gets to the postseason, they win a shit ton of games every year, and they just can't get over the hump, and Belichick could solve this. And here's the most important thing to me about this is, remember, Bill is blamed for Tom leaving, and I'm not saying that he doesn't deserve the bulk of the blame for that, but Kraft deserves some blame too because Kraft could have said, hey, Bill, if you don't bring back Tom, you know what? We're moving on from you. If you don't give Tom the Drew Brees deal, we're moving on from you. But they decided not to do that, right? The Crafts decided we're going to stick with Bill. And we got the recent reporting from Seth Wickersham. The Kraft was obviously irritated, more than irritated after Brady won the Super Bowl, where he said, hey, Bill told, told me that Tom couldn't fucking play anymore. Then he wins the Super Bowl. So the blame for Tom leaving can easily be placed on Bill. And the Crafts want it to be placed on Bill, right? But if Bill Belichick goes to Jerry Jones and the Dallas Cowboys and wins a Super Bowl, the only person that could be blamed for that or the only people that could be blamed for that are Jonathan and Robert Kraft. They would get the blame for that. That would look so bad for the Crafts that you get rid of Bill Belichick and he goes and wins a Super Bowl with your rival in the owner world, if you will, in Jerry Jones That would be fascinating to me. So that's why that's my number one. The Dallas Cowboys, number one on my list. Number two on my list in terms of the most intriguing Belichick destinations, the Philadelphia Eagles, okay? Another Northeast team. So we 
told you they had this huge letdown down the stretch, but Jeffrey Lurie, a Boston guy, that's a team that is clearly ready to win now. They went to a Super Bowl last year. I can't see them if they move on from Sirianni. And look, like I said, I mean, this could happen at any moment. I don't see them going the coordinator route. It would have to be a proven commodity like Harbaugh or, as we mentioned, like Bill or a Mike Vrabel type. As we said, it doesn't appear like Tomlin is going to be out. That would actually be a really interesting fit if he went from Pittsburgh to Philadelphia. But they're going to need a proven commodity if they're moving on from Sirianni because Sirianni had issues, right? The entertainment value would be there with Bill to Philly because the media, right? Like the Northeast part of this is you would still get those epic Bill Belichick press conferences because you don't see that happening in Atlanta or Carolina, right? He's not going to have these entertaining press conferences there. If he goes to Philly... The reporters, there'll be a lot of back and forth, right? And with Bill, this team is good. They're ready to win. Now, I know they have some issues, and I know Jason Kelsey just retired, but think about the talent with A.J. Brown, a receiver, coming back from the injury. Devontae Smith is an absolute stud. You have a good quarterback in Jalen Hurts, even if he struggled down the stretch of the season. He was obviously dealing with that hand injury in the game on Monday night. That would be awesome. That's another entertaining place for him to go. Northeast team, really good team. They're going to be a competitive team that has an opportunity to win the Super Bowl. So that'd be number two on my list. Number three on my list is the Chargers. It feels like they really want Harbaugh. He already did his interview there. And this is not a brand, right? That's the thing. It's not a brand like the Cowboys, and you don't have the rabid fans like the Eagles do. But at least he'd have a quarterback there, right? And you could be, if you're Bill, because the last coach, Brandon Staley, was a complete dumpster fire. This team has been underachieving left and right, Bill would get all the credit for that team making it to the playoffs. And if they make a deep run, it would be all because of Bill Belichick, that Bill Belichick went there and look what Herbert did once he got Bill Belichick. Now, there's been some reporting that Herbert actually really likes Harbaugh. I don't know how much of a say the quarterback's going to have, but you get my point. It's like Bill, he goes to any of these destinations. He gets them to where they need to be. He gets all the credit. That's why I put Herbert and the Chargers third in this list, because the other teams that we mentioned, they just don't Atlanta, Carolina, I just don't see them making a run. And I, the last thing I want to see is Bill coaching at a relevant football team. I just don't want to see it. I want him in Dallas. Second, I want him in Philly. Third, I'd want him with the Chargers, even though that's not like a big brand in the NFL. At least they have a good quarterback. Okay, so those are my Bill destinations. Now, Gerard Mayo's introductory press conference is Wednesday at noon. I'm excited for that. We've heard from Mayo a bunch this season as the defensive coordinator. He has to speak to the media a certain amount of time. So, and we've talked about it when he did, right? Where essentially, to paraphrase, remember when Bill said the team needed a reset and essentially Gerard Mayo said, not the defense, right? So he's been entertaining at least. But, and remember, he was upset about that report that Greg Bedard had about him rubbing people the wrong way within the organization. So he has spoken his mind. Like he's not afraid to go up there and say what he thinks, but I want to find out a lot of things from Gerard Mayo at this press conference. Now, we're not going to have all the answers, but what's your plan in terms of how are you getting the offense to a better spot than it's been over the past couple of years, right? Is he keeping Bill O'Brien? Now, obviously, he's not going to answer that question yet. It feels like Bill O'Brien is the front runner to keep that job. But what's the plan? Why is the offense going to be better with you than it was under Bill Belichick? Like, these are questions that need to be answered. What are you going to do at quarterback? Obviously, you can't say we're taking Jaden Daniels with the number three pick, but what are you looking for in a quarterback, right? Like these type of things. Now, he isn't going to tell us everything, like I said. Like he can't answer a lot of the questions about the personnel, but I want to at least hear about his philosophy offensively. Like why is, and also like what his relationship is going to be like with the front office? How involved is he going to be in terms of 
the drafting and the free agency stuff. Obviously, he can't be as involved with the drafting because the rest of the people in the front office have been working on this for months. Although I'm still, as we mentioned on the Sunday pod, concerned about this whole situation with how they're handling the front office. But anyway, I also want to see the aura. How does he present himself? How does he inspire the fan base? Because we really can't have a bad press conference for Gerard Mayo on Wednesday. That would just be like, okay, whoa, whoa, what's going on here? Like, you got to have a good press conference if you're Gerard Mayo getting ready to replace Bill Belichick. So I'm excited for that. Another note I would just say is Steve Belichick and Brian Belichick, it was reported by Albert Breer that both those guys or both of those guys have been offered jobs to stay with the organization. And Gerard Mayo and Steve Belichick are really close. Gerard Mayo really likes Steve Belichick. I just, I can't see Steve Belichick staying and working for an organization that moved on from his dad after everything that Bill did for the organization. Like, if Mayo got a head coaching job somewhere else and Bill was going somewhere else, I could see, like, maybe Steve going with Mayo. Obviously, it'd be more likely than he'd go with his dad, but I just can't see either one of those guys staying with the Patriots, right? So... We'll see what happens in terms of Steve Belichick and I guess Bill Belichick first, but Brian Belichick as well. But I want to at least come out of that press conference tomorrow feeling at least optimistic about the Patriots going forward. I am a little bit worried about the coaching staff. We don't know like how many, what are the relationships Gerard Mayo has across the league? It's something Nora Princiati brought up last week in the pod. So I'm interested to see how this press conference goes. But right now, I feel like, the concerning thing, and I mentioned this briefly, is like the front office stuff is so we're just having all Patriots related people, like all guys that are connected to Bill just run the organization without Bill. So we're basically saying, hey, we move on from Bill. We fix all this stuff. And I, I just don't believe that to be the case. But I am looking forward to see what Gerard Mayo has to say at his press conference. All right. Coming up next, we'll bring in producer extraordinaire Jamie McCollum. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like. Can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Joining us now, producer extraordinaire Jamie McClellan. Jamie, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm great, Brian. How are you doing? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. I'm getting ready for the Mayo press conference. I'm getting yes. it's a nice day in Boston on Wednesday. You got the Wemby versus the Celtics matchup. Mm -hmm. You got Gerard Mayo having his first press conference as the head coach of the Patriots. So what did you make of my list, man? My Belichick, my top three Belichick destinations. Would would you change anything? Would you have the Eagles number one? I mean, would you have anything wild? You know, Brian, I was hoping to have some sort of nitpick with your list, but uh, no, I, I completely agree in terms of one, two, and three. I think, I feel like depending on if they actually get rid of McCarthy, it's like one way up there and then two, three. It just, it just makes way too much sense, this Dallas thing. And um, beyond the reasons you said gets them over the hump in the playoffs, I think the other thing 
for a lot of these uh, like owners and coaches is you got to find an owner that's happy to have Belichick for like, you know, five years absolute maximum, which is kind of like a low ceiling when you're trying to find your next coach. Like you're looking for the next Belichick who's there for two decades. But, you know, Jerry wants to win now. He's 81 years old. I feel like it just makes too much sense on both sides. I don't know why they haven't already fired McCarthy because, I don't know, like you said, the safety school with the Falcons, like, I don't know why you wouldn't just move quickly on that ASAP. Um, the only other team I thought that might make some sense is the Raiders, just because, like you mentioned, the he likes kind of the historic franchises. The Raiders have a lot of good history. I could see Mark Daniels just throwing him $30 million a year and say, do whatever the hell you want kind of thing. So that's the only other team that I think maybe makes some sense. What do you think of the Raiders? Yeah, I just don't think they're going to do it because I feel like they're just going to name Antonio Pierce, Pierce? coach. Because everybody seems to like Antonio Pierce. You got Max Crosby yeah. saying, if it's not Antonio Pierce, I'm demanding a trade, basically. And last time <laughs> that they decided to go, not go with the interim coach and go with the outside candidate, they went with Josh McDaniels. And that did not go well. And I'm not connecting Josh McDaniels with Bill Belichick as a reason not can. to do it. But I just think about the rate. I think they'll just stick with Antonio Pierce. If it, look, And they played well with Antonio Pierce, right? I mean, yeah. they beat the Chiefs. They played much better down the stretch of the season, which I think is more of an indictment on Josh McDaniels more than anything else. Not to say that <laughs> Antonio Pierce can't coach, but yeah, I, th- I think they'll just stick with Antonio. That would be interesting from like the brand value. And as I mentioned, like if the Steel, if Tomlin wanted to leave and go somewhere else, like the Steelers would be intriguing from a brand. I just don't think they'd be a very interesting football team unless they could find a quarterback because I, they were competitive. I give them credit. They're one of the only team, like one of the, at least they showed up. How, and you should expect that from yeah, the Mike Tomlin coach team. I mean, Dallas, that was pathetic. Philly, that was pathetic. <laughs> the Browns, okay, like, I can't really say it was pathetic from the Browns. Just like Flacco turned back into Joe Flacco. The defense, though, they, they should the better. Yeah, well, the but. defense was bad. The defense was bad. I mean, that, that the, the defense, and that had been something that they had been getting praised for all season long. The one thing that I was thinking about, though, over the weekend, mm-hmm. and I mentioned this on a pod earlier this season, is Jordan Love went with the 26th pick in 2020. Remember, this is the year that essentially, not essentially, this is the, I don't know why I said essentially, this is the year it happened where Brady left to go to Mm -hmm. the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. At that time, you had not signed Cam Newton yet. So you were going into the offseason with Brian Hoyer and Jared Stidham as your quarterbacks. And remember, that's the year they traded down and they got Kyle Duggar. And I like Kyle Duggar as a player. But the thing about Jordan Love, and this is a philosophical thing that obviously didn't matter to the Patriots when they drafted Mac Jones, is you knew that, okay, this could be a project, but he had all the makings of like the modern quarterback where he can run just enough, he can run a little bit, and he's a pretty good athlete, but he's got all these crazy arm angles. He came from a small school, which obviously that's why he dropped and there wasn't as much on him as other guys and it was a COVID year, but he has a massive arm. We saw that on display. I just, I go back to the time. I said that may have been the time to take a shot on a quarterback, right? Because now they waited the next year, they got Mac Jones. But when you have a group of guys that it's like Jarrett Stidham and Brian Hoyer, and even if you did bring in Cam Newton, okay, fine. Because Jordan Love wasn't going to start his first year anyway. You can sort of, Get him in your program. And Josh McDaniels, like one thing he does deserve credit for, and of course he was the he was the offensive coordinator then, 
he does do a good job like developing quarterbacks, right? I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo developed into a good quarterback. Obviously, he has some issues, right? So, I mean, he's done a good job when it comes to that, just like working with quarterbacks, at least within the Patriots organization. So behind closed or not behind closed doors, but during practice, you spend extra time working with Jordan Love. And look, I mean, nobody, I don't know, maybe the Packers did, but it's just crazy to think about how criticized they were for making that pick because oh, why don't you get Rodgers another weapon so you guys can win? It's like, oh, maybe they knew that Rodgers was fucking crazy, okay? Maybe they knew. <laughs> like, the guy the guy was upset with yeah. Matt LaFleur because Matt LaFleur, like, they, they were doing, like, less audibles or whatever. Matt LaFleur, he's playing for Matt LaFleur. He's winning back-to-back MVPs. He's upset, right? Like, I mean, wh- who's upset when they're winning back-to-back MVPs? <laughs> and then he's choking against Tom Brady in the postseason. Like, the guy has no accountability whatsoever. And, like... Think about it, though, from a Packers perspective. They already they had Aaron Rodgers, and they still took Jordan Love. The Patriots lost Brady, and Jordan Love was just sitting there. And I get it. He's not like nobody was saying he was a slam dunk prospect yeah. at the time. And I actually felt bad for him because like all this criticism was getting thrown at the Packers. I'm like, the poor kid, he, he didn't pick to go to the Packers. They picked him. But think about how genius the Packers look right now for thinking ahead of time where it's like, oh, you know what we did? Like what the Packers did they got their replacement in-house. yeah. And when they were ready to say, this is Jordan, like Jordan Love's ready to go, then they were willing to trade Aaron Rodgers. The same thing happened when they had Brett Favre and then they were willing to move off Aaron Rodgers. The Patriots are like, hey, we know the Brady guy's upset. We got Hoyer. We got Stidham. Let's fucking go. Cue the duck boats. Yeah, I think, obviously they're the best in the league at developing quarterbacks, the Packers, for that reason of just having... I don't know, a bit more foresight than a lot of other teams. And I feel like, you know, there's been a lot of talk about Kraft and Belichick, obviously, since he got fired. But the big thing was, it was like he tried to do this with Garoppolo of having a transition plan, but it didn't work because Brady's a freak and played True. forever. But, but I mean, I, I think you think Jordan Love picked. The other pick was freaking Lamar Jackson. That was like Brady's second to last season. Obviously, they have different uh, skill sets. But I just think about these guys, like, developing these quarterbacks, like, it must be so important to be in the room with Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady and just like hearing them talk and go through things. And I think that's maybe underrated than more than just like taking a year off and or starting week one or having a great wide receiver. It's just backing up a guy who's the best ever must be so helpful. Yeah, and McDaniels did like Lamar Jackson. Like the stuff at the time that came out was he was so much different than Tom Brady. They would have had to have been like, running two different offenses right so i like that one to me is that one to me like it sort of makes sense although i'd love to have lamar jackson but you bring up a good point on garoppolo it's like bill did think that he had his replacement in garoppolo it's just my point is just like when you finally got to the point where brady was going to leave you didn't have that guy so even if you didn't have jimmy garoppolo anymore because Kraft force built to trade jimmy garoppolo like you had to have a better plan get another guy get another guy in the next draft and they didn't do that yeah, so that's the unfortunate part about the, all this. So we'll have to see. I mean, we got the whole week now to figure out what Bill does. This is the only thing I'm going to say, okay? And this is purely selfish. <laughs> yeah. I really hope that Bill doesn't decide to go somewhere or like Bill gets hired somewhere. Well, I don't even think he technically can. But Friday, I don't want to find out Friday morning where Bill's going because last week we had the Patriots announcing that Mayo was going to be the Patriots coach on Friday and I had to mm-hmm. cancel my haircut. OK, I have another haircut it was scheduled week last week. Yes, I have a haircut scheduled for Friday morning. OK, I can't cancel my haircut again. I'm flowing right now, man. I get my hair is too Looks long. Good. I like 
I like well, I like to get a cut every two weeks, man. It's getting long, so I just hope it doesn't happen Friday. <laughs> well, Come I'll on. pray that it doesn't happen Friday. But I just I'm I want the Cowboys thing for some reason. It's in my brain. I just I don't see how it doesn't happen. It makes too much sense. No. Yeah, I unless Jerry like it's possible they may really want Vrabel. Like Vrabel's yeah. an outstanding coach, right? Like if Vrabel's a guy that's a great coach, so they could really want Vrabel. I mean. I, the bill to the Cowboys is just incredibly entertaining. I hope it happens, but I could see them saying, fun. hey, we really like Vrabel. Or, hey, uh, can we talk to Harbaugh now? Like, Harbaugh talked to the Chargers? I mean, we really like Harbaugh. So I could see them going. For, like, Harbaugh would be incredibly entertaining in Dallas, too. That would be good. Well, someone it was a Cousin Sal was talking on Simmons' pod that they don't like, in general, the Joneses, like these type A personalities, which definitely includes Harbaugh and Belichick. You know, like they like these... Uh, more mild mannered Jason Garrett's and uh, McCarthy. McCarthy's, but but maybe they finally realize it ain't working. So maybe they maybe they want to zag away from those guys. Yeah, if they're like, hey, I mean, we don't want a guy with so much power, but if he's gonna help us, you know, actually not choke in the postseason, then, yeah, we may actually go after that guy. All right, so rest of the week we're gonna have we're gonna do something after Celts versus Wemby on Wednesday night, and obviously if we get any Bill news, I mean. Plans will change, but also we're planning on doing something after the f- huge Friday night game between the yeah. Nuggets and the Celtics. Best team in the NBA this year. Hopefully still knock on wood as we did with B-Rob. Going for that undefeated streak to stay alive against Jokic and the Denver Nuggets. So we want to do something after that as well. So that's the plan for now. But like I said, these are crazy weeks with the Patriots and especially with the Belichick thing now up in the air where he's going to go. So we're going to keep it fluid here, but th- that's the plan for now. All right, Jamie. Good stuff, man. Thank you, Brian. All right. As always, make sure to get your voicemails in 617-396-7172. Email your thoughts and questions to offthepike at gmail.com. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Strudy for producing this podcast, and we'll chat in a couple of days. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Vermont, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1800gambler.net in West Virginia or call one 800 522 4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, 
File a claim right on the State Farm mobile app and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.